0: Christchurch, New Malden, 27th of June 2021. Becky Mills speaking on Father's Day on God our Father. Right, so I've called my talk Dads in the Bible and the Fatherhood of God. So today is Father's Day, and we would like all dads to feel valued and appreciated. Mother's Day has a much longer history and there's always a danger that dads get a bit neglected on Father's Day and people are much more likely to dismiss it as commercial hype. No prizes for guessing that the tradition started up in the States. The first ever Father's Day happened in 1908, when a West Virginian church had a special sermon honouring fathers after 362 men were killed in a mining accident. parishioners gave out red and white flowers to honour the living and dead and to celebrate all that fathers do. In 1909, the year after, a woman called Sonora Smart made it her mission to set up a national Father's Day. She wanted Father's Day to be on June the 5th, her own father's birthday as a way of honouring him. He was a Civil War veteran who had raised six children on his own after his wife had died in childbirth. Sonora petitioned her local community and government and an official Father's Day was inaugurated in Washington state in the following year, 1910 that is. It gradually caught on in other states in America and the UK soon followed suit. But it was never quite as popular as Mother's Day. That all seemed to change in World War II, when Father's Day was used as an opportunity to promote the troops out on the battlefield. By the time the war was over, Father's Day was a national institution. In the earlier mid-20th century, the roles of parents were, were much more gender specific. And gratitude for fathers was linked to their role as providers for the family and guardians of peace and stability. In the late 20th and early 21st centuries, we all know the roles of parents changed radically. Instead of the father being provider and the mother being the manager of the household and children, both mothers and fathers work outside the home. Both make decisions that affect family life, and both share responsibility for child rearing. And this is based on the timeless biblical principle of mutual love and service. Each spouse allowing the other the freedom to develop their own gifts and talents, and shoulder family responsibilities equally. The social structure of society is now vastly different to biblical times and Jesus himself openly challenged the prevailing culture. The biological extended family was then a source of honour and status. As an adolescent, Jesus made short shrift of Mary's complaint that he had treated them badly by disappearing off to the temple in Jerusalem without their knowledge. He responded, Did you not know I would be about my father's business and when his family were worried about his conduct near the beginning of his ministry in mark 3 31 to 35 this is what happens then jesus's mother and brothers arrived standing outside they sent someone in to call him a crowd was sitting round him and they told him your mother and brothers are outside looking for you who are my mother and my brothers he asked Then he looked at those seated in a circle round him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. And a final example. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God. And obey it. So the woman in the crowd proclaims the traditional honor due to the biological mother of an honorable son, and Jesus responds that for him, true honor derives from obedience to God. In Jesus' attitude to his biological family, we see family prestige and honor sidelined in favor of obedience to God, the architect of the created order and father of the covenant. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And nobody, not even family, should undermine God's call to obedience. In the Bible, we won't find specific instructions about the roles of dads inside the home in the 21st century, or the roles of mums outside the home. But what we do find, are the most important principles which underlie both these roles. And I will argue that the best legacy a parent can leave a child is to model and teach obedience to God in everyday life. Abraham, one of the best-known dads in Scripture, is often quoted elsewhere in the Bible as a model of faithful obedience to God. So Abraham's story begins in Genesis 12. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham obeyed God without hesitation and travelled in stages to the promised land of Canaan, but there was famine there. After a spell in Egypt, and a return to the promised land. God came through with his promise of descendants and his wife Sarah gave birth to a son, Isaac. God tested Abraham to see whether he could go on to build on the relationship of faithful obedience that Abraham had shown so far. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. I'm sure you're all familiar with the strange and terrifying task God required of him. But an angel intervenes and says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham's response was a complete surrender to God. He was willing to sacrifice the child of promise because God had commanded it. After Abraham's death, God appeared to Abraham's son, Isaac, and reiterated his promise. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, meaning the promised land of Canaan, and through your offspring, All nations on earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. The legacy of God's covenant blessing to his father Abraham was bestowed on Isaac, and he continued to occupy the promised land, maintaining peace and stability with his hostile neighbours. Isaac's second son, Jacob, was the, third in the, was the third link in God's plan to start a nation with Abraham. In the famous vision, we saw a stairway to heaven and angels descending and ascending. God who stood above it said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. But the climax of Jacob's relationship with God is reached in the vivid story of him wrestling with a divine opponent. All Jacob's encounters with God has something of a struggle. Abraham is given the title friend of God, even in his supreme test. Nothing is revealed of a struggle. There is nothing but calm acceptance of the divine command. With Jacob, on the other hand, we get the impression that God is shaping hard and resistant material. Jacob, despite his willfulness, plays the part destined for him, and his name is changed to Israel, meaning one who struggles with God. Jacob has come through the struggle. The contest of wills and God's covenant blessings will be channelled through his obedience and he becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Dads are hugely significant in the Old Testament story, but none so important as Abraham. With the faith and obedience of one man, the whole pattern of redemption is foreshadowed. The father giving the son, the son surrendering to the father's will. The near sacrifice of Isaac is thought to have taken place near Golgotha, where Jesus was crucified. It was the climax of the preparation of Abraham for his calling as as human father of a great nation, the means of redemption and invitation to all to become adopted and embraced by the loving fatherhood of God. The Jewish authorities at the time of Jesus were very uncomfortable with Jesus talking about God as his father. They realized that he was pulling rank in some way, claiming authority over them and their pronouncements about the law, suggesting that he was in some way unique. But the outstanding feature of the relationship between father and son was total surrender to the father's will. And that was what made Jesus' sonship unique. Jesus's level of intimacy and surrender is shown most clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane when he told his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you take this cup from me yet not what I will but what you will he was obedient to death even death on a cross how is all all this relevant to Father's Day well on Father's Day we're especially appreciative of all that fathers do whether it's shopping, cooking, washing, tidying, gardening, the school run, helping the children with their homework, craft activities, outdoor treats or bedtime rituals, allowing mums time out, or that is involved with raising a family. But the most important fatherly responsibility of all is teaching children obedience to God by example and by familiarising them with his commands. Memorising the Ten Commandments, for example, can be fun. The secret is thinking of a visual image to link each commandment to its number, but it has to be something meaningful for your child. Then each commandment will easily be, com- be committed to their long-term memory. For example, the eighth commandment is do not steal. An eight looks a little bit like an hourglass which reminds me of doing time in prison. Yes, you could equally apply that to breaking other commandments like murder, But the idea is, of course, to choose different visual prompts that resemble the numbers for all of them. It does work. It helped me memorise all the commandments. Here is an example. Here, the number eight is made to look like handcuffs. Similar idea. If you like, you can pick up a copy for for younger children um, from your table or from the back of the church. Your children do need to know them. They'll have difficulty keeping the Ten Commandments if they don't know what they are. Teaching our children God's commandments and the central importance of obeying them is crucial. God is the divine architect of the world and father of the Israelite nation, bound in a covenant relationship with them. The climax of that covenant is the death and resurrection of Jesus, so that not just the nation of Israel, all nations and all peoples are invited to be part of God's family. All who receive the invitation to become a child of God are bound together with him in a special relationship of mutual love and one of obedience to God. We're strengthened for this task by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we're assured of forgiveness when we fall short. But we are called to obedience to show our love of God. And we need to make that the most important thing in our lives. By our example and by our teaching, we can foster the same zeal for obeying God in our children. We can turn both to the stories of exemplary characters like Abraham in the Old Testament and Jesus, the perfect example of filial obedience. From a very young age, we can teach them the Ten Commandments and explain how they can apply them to their everyday lives. Let's give thanks for our dads now in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for our dads and all that they do to care for us. We thank you that they help us to obey you in all we think and say and do to show that we love you. We thank you that, above all, you love us with a deep fatherly love and have given us your Holy Spirit to make us strong enough to do your will. And yet, you always forgive us when we're weak. In Jesus' name, Amen.